You're listening to the Alliance Specialty Podcast, dedicated to insurance and risk management solutions and trends shaping the market today. Well, hello, I'm Tim Leach with Alliance Insurance Services. I'd like to welcome you all to the Alliance Specialty Podcast. And today we have Mark Lillemon that we're going to be interviewing on the subject matter. Mark's been with Alliance since 2019. He's got about 35 years of experience. He's a certified safety professional. And, you know, really specific and paramount to this is he's got experience working as a compliance officer with the Department of Labor, Occupational Safety and Health Administration, as well as the EPA and Environmental Protection Agencies, as well as some industry experience. And just want to welcome Mark. Hey, did I get everything right there, Mark? Yeah, you sure did. Glad to be joining you this morning. You know, Mark comes with a wealth of experience. I'm really glad that he came on with us today. And Mark, you know, so today's topic is, you know, what to expect when OSHA kind of arrives at your doorstep and how do you prepare for that? So maybe you could start, Mark, a little bit with letting us know why does OSHA show up your doorstep in the first place? Yeah, that's a great question. And a lot of companies are surprised when they do enter their workplace. I'm going to start first off pointing out there are two forms of OSHA. There's the federal OSHA. And then we have state plans, and there's about 22 of them in the U.S. I say that just because administrative policies can vary a little bit from state to the feds. But for the most part, when it comes to what gets OSHA into your workspace, they're pretty much the same. And I'll also point out the regulations at the state plans have to be at least equivalent to the feds. But particularly for you that are out in the West Coast, all of those are state plans, California, Oregon, and Washington, I would encourage that uh, companies, you know, take a look at their websites. You can get a lot of good information. Yeah, I know Arizona is one as well, right? Yes, indeed. I'm here in Denver, Colorado, which is a Fed state, but Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico surrounding us are all uh, state plan states as well. So they have what they call a program inspection, and they have unprogrammed. Let's start with the program inspection, and these are entities or organizations or facilities operations. Companies, they know they're going to inspect. One of them, that's probably the leading reason or use of uh, their administrative policy is going to be high hazard industries. So we have a lot of data. We now have, it used to be 250 employees or greater. Now it's down to 25. They have to submit their OSHA logs. So they take that data and they actually identify the high frequency rates from those OSHA 300A summary logs, and they establish industries that need to be targeted for inspections. So that's one way they're going to enter your workspace is that you're in one of those high hazard industries. They also have special emphasis programs, and these are at the national level. They call them NEPs. It's at the regional level, and there are 10 regions in the U.S., and that's REPs, and then they have local inspection programs, LEPs, and these are individual area offices. And I don't I don't know off the top of my head how many actual area offices there are throughout the country in both state and federal operations. But these programs are really targeted at specific hazards. And so, you know, the recent one that we had during the pandemic, we saw, you know, both state and federal uh, officers getting into particularly the healthcare industries. We've had a national emphasis program on the national scene in trenching and excavations, really since the late 80s. That's been a long stand, and every year they reactivate that. So a lot of the special emphasis programs are either going to be targeted, again, interior fixed 
operations like manufacturing and that those types of facilities, but a great number of them are outdoor stuff. So we have a lot of construction related special emphasis programs where the compliance officers can see from the public way, you know, they, they're observing hazards, fall hazards, for example, or the trenching and excavations. So that's something companies really need to be mindful of is, you know, are they visible to the public, including these OSHA compliance officers? So if they come out under one of those programs, do they have to stay focused on that topic or can they enter into other areas of compliance with the employer? That's a great question. Yeah. So they're focused on, you know, whatever that hazard emphasis is all about. But here's the thing. Administratively, they've instructed their officers, if you see anything else in the course of your walkthrough while you're performing the inspection, you're to address that as well. And they interview employees. That's part of their inspection process. And during that interview process, if that employee happens to mention, hey, you should check this out because this is really a dangerous operation or condition, they're definitely going to investigate that piece as well. And then they had their final card, the ACE card, they have full discretion to turn it into a full comprehensive inspection. So if they see a bunch of safe conditions, some regulatory violations, they can at any time say, you know what, we're going to bl- blow this up and it's going to be a full comprehensive inspection. So when they show up, is the employer obligated to let them come on site? They do have the right to deny them entry, which is now going to force the compliance officer to go to an administrative law judge and get a subpoena. And that subpoena will lay out what they're allowed to do. They're going to return to your workplace. I caution that because there are some big corporations that have an internal policy that they will absolutely deny OSHA entry regardless. When I was a compliance officer, we had a large meatpacking plant in the upper Midwest. That was their policy. And part of it was because we were always knocking at their door. So that gets us to the unprogrammed, which are those circumstances where OSHA doesn't know day in and day out whether or not they're going to go inspect a facility or a field operation. That's because we're talking about formal complaints. So an employee who works for a company can file a complaint, remain anonymous, list out you know what the hazards are that they're concerned about, and they want OSHA to send an inspector out there and take a look at it. Referrals come from non-employers, but usually they're regulatory sources. You might have a building inspector, for example, in a city municipality that sees some unsafe conditions. They have a relationship with the local OSHA office, and they'll make a call and say, hey, this is what I'm seeing. I think you guys should come out here. EPA is another one. They don't have any responsibility for worker protection. So if they're doing an inspection for EPA reasons, looking at permit conditions, et cetera, they can also call in OSHA under a referral. And the one that really surprises a lot of employers is news media. So when you see those news coverages, whether it's uh, videos or newsprint, and it shows an unsafe condition, OSHA will take that and run with it every day. Most of the time I see the news media creating an unsafe condition. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Or government workers. Just as a sidebar, you might be surprised, at least in the Fed states, your state employees are not covered by a Fed OSHA. California happens to be a state plan. That's an example where they also include state employees. But I get that question all the time about, well, how come, you know, CDOT, which is our Colorado Department of Transportation, how come they work unsafely and 
and not have to deal with OSHA, and that's the reason. And then the other planned, I guess, or unprogrammed, the big one is fatalities. Fatalities as well as serious injuries. So if you have a hospitalization of a single employee or you have an amputation, loss of eye, those are all conditions. I know that people, sometimes they don't take the amputation thing seriously. My understanding, it doesn't have to take any bone away, right? That's right. As far as like, let's say on your finger. So in the interest of time, so the guy shows up, guy or gal shows up on your doorstep. What is the employer? What's the best thing they can do to prepare for that day? Well, first off, and this is key, they are going to present official credentials and it looks like a passport. So it's a hard leather case, their photo ID, it has their COSHO, which is their compliance health and safety officer, you know, reference number and the area office that they're assigned to. It is essential that they present that. We know of individuals who have basically fraudulently uh, presented themselves as an OSHA inspector. They're handing out a business card. No, no way. I would never allow that person in my workplace. They're going to ask for a senior level so fine, a construction site, that's usually going to be either a construction manager or the superintendent. And then they're also going to ask if it's a construction company, a multi-employer site, oil and gas would be another example. They're going to ask for a representative from all the subcontractors to come into this field office, or if it's a factory or any other business, going to be in the office where you're going to have a sit-down meeting with that compliance officer and once you've gathered all those representatives, they will conduct what they call an opening conference. And that opening conference will explain why they're there. Okay, you're on a program inspection or we had a complaint. So what are those justifications that we just spoke about? They will, at the beginning of that opening conference, you know the reasons that they're at your door. They're also going to give you a, at least an estimate of the scope of the inspection. And if it's a complaint, this is where I need to go, and this is what we need to look at. So that's critical piece of information for the company rep. Number one is to understand you know, what brought them there, and if it's a complaint or a focused inspection, that they are going to really discretionarily <laughs> figure out how they're going to lead them to that spot without running them through the heart of your operations, where they might, again, see just in plain view any other unsafe conditions that they might decide at a moment's notice, hey, we're going to stop and address this first. So when they're doing a walk around, or do you have any tips for the employer? I mean, I've heard that, you know, always take pictures of the things they take pictures of, maybe have facilities there to address things that can be fixed right away or mitigated. Anything along that lines that you could share that would be helpful? Yep, absolutely. So you touched on some of them already, and that is, when they take their video, by the way, that's they've been using camcorders. I don't know what they use now. They might even be using their cell phones, but they are taking video. And there's a good reason for that because they can also capture sound, including any conversation that's going on. So when they are taping, it's essential that uh, the company reps keep your mouth quiet. You know, you don't need to be adding any narrative dialogue. I know it's you know, it can be stressful. And so back in the days when I was a compliance officer, I found a lot of chit chat going on just because they were nervous. Sometimes they would provide information that was a clue as to the employer knowing a hazard existed, which is important in terms of defense against a possible citation. So if you can, you know, side by side, tape the same 
you know, video, get that line of sight that they are in, or at least get a still shot, as well as either take notes. I think it's very helpful to identify in your notes who they talk to, which by the way, the compliance officer gets to or has the right to interview those employees confidentially. So they'll pull them off to the side and ask them some questions, generally about you know how long you've worked for the company, what's your job you know entail, you know this condition I'm looking at, do you work around it, have you seen it, have you reported it to management, that kind of stuff. And so it's helpful for company rep to know who they spoke to. They can't come back after the inspection and you know interrogate that employee. They, they still have the right to just you know keep quiet and not share what they're sharing you know with the compliance officer. Also, if there's any measurements taken, if you as a company rep have any ways to either side by side, let's take noise. That's a good one because if you had a noise app on your cell phone, you could at least get a spot you know, sound level reading. It may not be a calibrated instrument that'll stand up in the court of law, but it'll give you a general idea of, hey, I'm, mine was showing 82 dBA and I never got any higher. And they're claiming now that, you know, it was 95. So that's a good thing to capture again for a defense standpoint. And then getting back to even in the management side of things, when the compliance officer is asking you questions, asking for documents and that sort of thing. Be honest, of course, we don't want to hide anything, but don't elaborate beyond question. There's no reason to, you know, go down a rabbit hole that you really don't want to get into. So capture that information is essential. So kind of moving on, uh, once they do their inspection, they're going to have a closing meeting, right? And then you can expect some documentation. Yep. You got it. Good point. At the beginning of it, that, as far as an attorney, that's another question I get oftentimes is, should we call our attorney to have them show up for that opening conference? And I would say under most conditions, absolutely not. They're just going to be a problem for you. But in the closing conference, they're going to you know, basically review, okay, this is what we found. This is what I believe is a violation of the law. Some officers will even quote you know, the standard and might even give you you know, a chance to write that down. They should also give you some suggestions for how do you abate it. And then they'll run you through your rights and responsibilities, which essentially is going to be, you're going to get, you know, a letter, certified letter in the mail. It's going to identify these standards that we believe you violated and there's any associated penalties. They're going to classify it into other serious repeat, et cetera. Willful is a big one. And then you're going to get 15 days to respond to it. Depending on that letter and the outcome of it, that's when an attorney should be considered as to the severity of it. There is one opportunity, it's called an informal conference, and that gives you a chance to just go and meet with OSHA and really try to hash out some settlement terms, whether it's the dollar amount, whether it's the classification. And if you're a first-time offender, if you want to call it that, oftentimes an attorney is not necessary to get some somewhat favorable changes to the original citations in that informal. I think the key, Tim, is companies really should have a plan. Now, they should establish an in-house policy and plan on communicate it to their employees, of course, and particularly their management and their supervisors. This is how you're going to be prepared for, we want you to be prepared for OSHA so that you know, you know how to respond. You always think of the receptionists who may, you know, 
And then if you have a third party that's, you know, that you're hiring for your reception, that's a, that can be a challenge too. you know, making sure they're up to speed of who to call if someone from a regulatory agency comes in. Well, Mark, man, that's been a lot of great information. I really appreciate it. I'm going to throw one more zinger at you. I was thinking of when we had here is that uh, just in closing, when you were an officer, do you ever have anything that you can share? You know, of course, not any names or anything that was of interest, like, you know, they were able to bribe you with a, you know, offer of cash or, or trips or anything like that, or any attempts to do that? Nothing like that. I think this meatpacking plant did give me a very nice, or they attempted to give me a very nice, it was a, a simulated leather, pleather, I'll call it, jacket with their logo on it. It was pretty nice safety priority. I don't know what it said on it, but I politely declined it. They pretty much, they will allow you to have lunch. I think that's one of the things that the administrative policy of OSHA, that kind of thing. But no, no, no trips. All right. Yeah. So don't make your uh, compliance officer go thirsty or hungry and you can get away with that. So, well, hey, Mark, thanks again. It's always a pleasure. I mean, we've done this a couple of times and look forward to doing them in the future as well. Again, you're a great co-worker and partner and a wealth of information. I appreciate it and enjoy working with you. And thanks for your time here. And for those who sat through this, want to thank you for your time as well. Please stay tuned for future Alliance Specialty Podcasts. And thank you.